Well, good morning and welcome to New Life. How are you doing today? Are you doing well? Good, good, good. It's good to be with you today. We want to welcome all of you who are worshiping with us in person at Kearney as well as the Ogallala campus in North Platte and online. We're so glad that you're here with us. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I get the, the privilege and the honor of serving our young adults, 18 to 35, and all of our life groups. So uh, if you're in one of those age brackets, awesome. We're glad that you're here. If you're out of that age bracket, I'm so glad that you're here. Come on. We're glad that you're here. Turn to the person next to you and just say, man, I'm glad you're here at church today. Man, we're glad that you're here. Man, I'm glad that you're here. So hey, we're in the second week of our teaching series, Rock Bottom. And the overall, kind of the theme and the idea of the series is when God meets us at our worst. Anybody ever been there? You ever been at your worst? Well, let me just tell you a little bit about my story. About I've been at New Life now, coming up on 12 years in, uh, in June, coming up on 12 years. And about six years ago, I was at my worst. I was anxious. I was fearful. I was overwhelmed. I was irritable. I, was, I found myself very angry. And I was your pastor. I was one of your pastors. And I, find myself, I found myself trying to run from God. I found myself running from God. I was looking for all the avenues, looking at all the doors that I could find to get out of this place. I was ready to give up on God's calling on my life. I didn't even enjoy life anymore. I was just like, I'm overwhelmed. I told my wife, I was like, I'm just done with it. I just, I don't know what to do, but I just don't like anything about my life right now. And it was in that moment where God met me at my worst. By his grace and his mercy, I responded to him. But he met me at my worst in this moment of, of just fear and anxiety, overwhelmed. And I responded to God. And then it was in 2018, God began to lay on my heart, began to speak to my heart, saying, Nate, I want you to go back to school to be a counselor. And I was like, yeah, right. The first time I went to school for my undergrad, it didn't go so well. I mean, I, I, I got enough of the grade to graduate and get the degree, but I was there for the party. I was there for the socialism. I was there just to hang out. I am way more uh, street smart than book smart. And I was like, Lord, it didn't go well the first time. How is it going to go this time? And I said, Lord, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'm not going back to school. And a few months later, I had a number of young adults and college students coming to me and saying, hey, Nate, do you know any, any good counselors that you could recommend? I've got some things going on in my life that I need to talk to somebody about. Would you recommend anybody? And it was in that moment that God began to speak to me through them. And I knew it was in that moment. I said, okay, Lord, here we go. With your help, all things are possible. I know what your word says, so I'm going to step out of the boat and be a Peter here, and I'm going to step into what you're calling me to. Well, I, I basically, because I had dra drug my feet for so long to get into the program, I had to basically, they said, Nate, and your GPA wasn't great in your undergrad. I need you to write six papers. I'm like, I'm not even good at writing one paper. How am I going to write six papers? And then I had to get all these recommendation letters and all this stuff. And so I'm just feeling like, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. But the Lord just said, would you just trust me? Would you just step into what I have for you? And so as I began to step into what God had for me, I began to see God opening up the doors. And I can stand here today and say for the last three years I've been in school and I have one year left and I get to graduate hopefully next spring, Lord willing. But here's the thing. Oh. Thank you. But here's the thing is tomorrow I start my internship. So I just want to throw this out to the church real quick. I, I feel like I'm, I want to do this for you. I start an internship tomorrow where I get to see clients for counseling. And so at, at all of our campuses at Ogallala and North Platte here in Kearney, if you're in Nebraska via Zoom, praise the Lord for technology, or in person, I need to see clients. I need to get 150 hours of seeing clients in the next 11 weeks. 
So if today, if anything that you, it triggers today, anything in this message, and you're like, man, Nate, I, I could use some counseling or talking to somebody, come talk to me. Just email me at nate at mynewlifechurch.com, and uh, we'll set up an appointment and connect. I would love, I would be honored to journey with you wherever you're at. I'd love to help you. And so today, it's, it's, it's a privilege and an honor to get to talk about something that I care a lot about. And it's something that God cares a lot about, and it's your mental health. It's your mental health today. God cares a lot about it, and praise be to God, in our culture, we're finally beginning to realize that there's an invisible war going on in the minds of people. There's a war going on, it's a spiritual war, and there's a, and there's a biological and all this, there's a war going on for your soul, but it, the enemy loves to attack the mind. And so today, we're going to jump right into it. For some of you are going, dude, it's Mother's Day, what are you doing, Nate? But this is where we're going today. God wants to meet you at your rock bottom mentally. God wants to help you, because I know this, that the mental health struggle is real. The struggle is real. All of you have dealt with some form of anxiety, depression, or suicide, whether you personally or you know somebody who has. And here are the statistics. One in five adults age 18 and over have experienced symptoms of anxiety and depression in the past two weeks. So what that means is somebody today who has high anxiety, you found yourself not being able to catch your breath this past week or in the last couple of weeks because you've just been stressed and overwhelmed. For others of you, you've been irritable. You found yourself angry. Maybe you found yourself in the cave. You're going, I know that I'm in the cave, but I know that there's a way out, but it's just everything is dark, and I just feel oppressed. I just feel down, and I'm not sure really what's going on. Maybe you're a mom here today, and you recently had a baby, and you're dealing with the baby blues. And you're feeling overwhelmed with just life and all that this stuff is going on. In 2020, the mental health hotline phone calls went up 900%. So the struggle is real. The CDC's numbers tell us that one out of four young people under the age of 30 considered suicide in 2020. And one out of 10 for the rest of us. So look around this morning. Look at the people that are here. That means some of us are struggling with our mental health today. This is an epidemic, and I don't believe it's the church's job just to sit back on the sideline and go, okay, world, you figure it out, and then you tell us what to do. I believe it's the church's job to be engaged and be a part of the solution. Jesus said that the church is God's hope for the world, and we get to be a part of that church. We get to be a part of that, but here's one qualifier that I have that I need to clarify. There are a lot of stigmas around mental health. You've heard them, right? So I need everybody's help today. How many of you wear glasses or contacts? Would you raise your hands? I'm, look at that. Now, everybody look around at all of your campus. Look around, everybody at all your campuses. Look around. Look at all the people that have their hands up. All right. What that means is they have a part of their body, the person that had their hands up, they're a person that has a part of their body that's not working at full efficiency. Your eyes are not working at full efficiency. If you had your hand down, that means your eyes are 20-20. And that's what we do. We go back to the eye doctor and we say, hey, I can't see. Here's something that, here's just a little something for the people in North Platte. I realized I needed glasses. I was actually with my mom going grocery shopping, walking into the North Platte campus. It used to be a U-Save. I was walking into the U-Save uh, grocery store. And as I'm walking in, I hear all these girls. There's a group of girls out in the parking lot. And they're like, hey, Nathan. Hey, Nathan. And I look at my mom and I go, who are they? Because I couldn't see them. And so that was about seventh grade, and I'm like, Mom, I need to get my eyes checked because I can't see anything. But back to the eyes. The people that you saw with their hands up, their eyes aren't working at full capacity. And not for once did anybody go, man, 
Shame on that person. Not for once did anybody go, oh man, they have a lack of faith because their eyes aren't working. Not for one moment did you, did you shame that person or did you think anything differently than them. And I just need to tell you a little today that the mind is a part of the body and sometimes the mind doesn't work at full efficiency. Think about it that way. Don't shame people. You didn't shame them. But all of us, at different points in time, we may struggle. Our bodies, it's failing, the Bible says. Each and every day, our bodies are failing. And so today, if you find yourself someone who's struggling with mental health, we want to encourage you, lift you up, and walk with you and journey with you. If you're somebody struggling in your mind, please hear me. Your struggle is not your identity today. Your struggle is not your identity. It's just something that you're struggling with, and it's my hope that we can rally around you. Did you know in the Bible that the Bible is full of people who struggled? The Bible is full of people who are adulterers or murderers, involved with struggles with substance abuse. Yes, even those who struggled with anxiety and depression. And I, I, gotta, I hope this encourages you today. God loves and still uses imperfect people. Come on, somebody. God still loves and uses imperfect people. And today we're going to jump into a passage of a story found in the prophet Elijah. I love this story. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. We're going to get to the 19 part for, or in a moment, but i got to set up 18. So here's a little bit about Elijah. Elijah, he is, I would say, he is the, he is the elite prophet in the Bible. He's one of the prophets, but I would say he's elite because about Elijah, the story of Elijah, Elijah is found both in the Old Testament and he's found in the New Testament. Elijah shows up with Moses. He descends from heaven with Moses at the transfiguration of Jesus. You can read about it in the Gospels. The Bible says that heaven elevated Elijah. Elijah was elevated, yet he was still someone who struggled greatly with depression and suicidal thoughts. And this all happened on the heels of experiencing two of the most magnificent displays of God's power on earth. So here's a quick snapshot of 1 Kings chapter 18. So we have Elijah. Elijah's a prophet. He's someone who hears from God and he speaks on behalf of God. So God tells Elijah, hey, I want you to go talk to King Ahab. King Ahab is the king of Israel at the time. He's not a good king, the Bible says. He does, he does not so good things in the eyes of the Lord. What he's doing is, is he's actually allowing the Israelites to worship the king of Baal and Asherah. And God's not happy with it. So God sends Elijah to Ahab and says, hey, we're going to have a duel, a wild, wild west duel, but this is before the west, this is the wild, wild east duel, and it's going to happen on Mount Carmel. I want you, King Ahab, I want you to get all of your false prophets. I want you to get 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, and I want you to get 400 prophets of Asherah. Bring all your people. I want you to summon all of Israel because we're going to put on a show today. God's going to show up. It's like the carnival coming to town. And God's going to display his glory. And he's like, King Ahab's like, all right, cool. I'm going to get my 850 people, get everybody in the neighborhood. We're going to show up on Mount Carmel. So here we go. We have the duel. We have Elijah, one man of God, versus 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Elijah comes with the, gra the ground rules. Here he goes. These are the ground rules for what we're going to do. He says to King Ahab, your prophets are to build an altar, a massive bonfire. I mean, I, when I pictured, I think like the picture of like your auditorium today. That's what I want you to picture. Uh, just a huge altar as an, the size of the auditorium. I want you to sacrifice one bull. And then I want you, you know, you, you prophets of Baal and Asherah, you guys can go ahead and take as much time as you want. And you're going to pray and summons and call down from your God fire from heaven to burn up your altar. 
I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to be, be right over here while you're doing your thing. I'm going to be over here. I'm going to begin to build my altar. And we'll see whose God shows up and burns up and consumes their altar and who is the one true God. So here we go. We've got Asherah's group and Baal's group. They're over here. They build their altar. They're doing their thing. This thing goes on for six to eight hours long. So most of the day, they're chanting. They're dancing. They get a little bit more, you know, into it. They start cutting themselves. They're doing all these things to summon their God. God, would you send fire from heaven to burn and consume to show you're the one true God? And finally, Elijah goes, I'm, I've had enough of it. You're done. Time out. Done. Elijah steps back, and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the show? For your enjoyment, we're not only going to ask God to consume this thing, but I'm also going to add water to my altar. I'm going to dig a trench around the altar, and I'm going to fill this baby full of water, and then we're going to call upon our God. He does the thing. He steps back, and he says, God, would you prove yourself today and reveal yourself today that you're the one true God? And fire comes from heaven and consumes his altar and licks up all the water in the trench. Think Elijah's done? Oh no, baby, he's just getting started. He's not done yet. No, he goes and he summons all of the false prophets and he kills them with a sword. Dude's a bad dude. You think he's done yet? Oh no, 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 we got one more thing. He's one more thing. He's like, you know what? The Lord God told him, said, hey, would you pray for three and a half years that it wouldn't rain? There's gonna be a drought. Then the Lord says, okay, go ahead, Elijah, you can pray and the rains will come. So we have these three amazing feats where if you, were, if you were Elijah or if I were Elijah, we'd be like, yeah, we got it going on, man. God's on our side. When I snap my fingers, boom, fire, here it comes. You know what I'm saying? You would have thought he would have had all the confidence in the world that he would have just been walking around prideful like I got it going on. But that's not what happened. So let's just jump into 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. Now Ahab the king, not a good dude, told Jezebel the queen, not a good woman. These two are married together. They're bad people. Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, listen to me. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Hold it right there. She sent a messenger. She didn't send the hitman. She sent a messenger with a message. Basically, let's put it in modern 2020 time. Somebody posted something on his Instagram saying, I don't like you. And Elijah is like, oh, snap. Can any of you relate? You post something, gives you an, somebody gives you an angry face. Somebody does something that, that says something against what you believe and it like totally throws you into a tailspin. That's, what's, that's, about, ready to what, that's about what's about ready to happen with, Eli, with Elijah. He gets into a tailspin. He gets worked in. There isn't even a hitman at the door saying, I'm here to kill you. But there's a message that came. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. Pause right there. I need to give you a little context in Beersheba. Beersheba is the place where God spoke and where Elijah confirmed and said, God, I'm making an oath with you. I'm going to serve you and I will be a prophet. I will speak on your behalf. So Elijah is running now back to where he made this covenant, this, this oath with God. He's running back going, God, where are you? God just had shown up Can he, a chapter earlier. God just showed up in this amazing way and did a, these, a, a miracle. And yet now he's, he's running back to God. God, where are you? I thought things were going to look different. Can anybody relate? God calls you to something and you think it's going to look a certain way or it's going to go a certain way. And then it doesn't. And then you're like, God, where are you? What's going on here? So he's running back to Beersheba. But he yet, 
He doesn't stay there to listen and hear from God. What does he do? He continues. He's now running from God. He's running a day's journey into the wilderness. He's running so hard. He's anxious. He's fearful. He thinks he's going to die. He's forgot about all the promises. He's forgot about the faithfulness of God. And so he continues to run. He's so tired. He comes to a broom bush. He sits down under it, and he prayed, God, that I might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. We're going to get to that. Why did he say that? In verse 5, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Herob, the mountain of God. Before I move on, I just, just want to clarify a few things. Because there are so many people listening to my voice and in the house today and at all of your campuses, I understand that there are many opinions on how to treat mental health. For some of you, it's, it's a biological. Your grandma struggled with some type of disorder or depression, and so now it's, it's genetic. It's in you. And so for some of you that have this biological piece going on, it may be prescriptions that are medication that is going to help you the most. But others of you, you're anti-anything medication. You're all natural, and I get that. For another person, it's seeing a counselor and putting in the work and putting together a treatment plan and beginning to change the way that you think. For others of you today, it might be both and. Medication and counseling is going to be the best option And I'm here to tell you that no matter what option that you go with, I believe that prayer and faith and continued prayer is an answer as well. I believe that. And I also believe that the Holy Spirit is the best counselor and he will guide you into the best solution for you. So I'm not here to say to pick sides and go to war with each other. We don't need to do that. Because here's what happened. Just over a year ago, I I was homesick. Everybody's, this is before COVID, I'm homesick, and if you're a woman today who is a, is a mom or a wife, you get it. When a, when a man's sick, he's dying. <laughs> he, he's dying, and so I'm laying there, and I, I feel like I am dying. I'm literally laying, when I'm sick, I like to lay in the bathroom floor. That's just where I, that's where I grew up doing. I would bring in a sleeping bag and a pillow, and I'm just going to lay right there, baby. And I'm laying there. And my wife's like, you just got gas, you just, it's okay, blah, 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 giving me all this. I'm taking, because I'm cheap, I'm really cheap, and I'm like, I am not going, to, I'm not going to the hospital, I'm not going to the doctor unless I really have to. And so I'm laying there, I'm giving myself everything that I can think of under the sun. Nothing is relieving the pain that I'm feeling, and I begin to pray and ask the Lord. And I'm laying there, and now it's about midnight, and I've been praying for an hour or so, and I, I just come out of this trance, I just come up out of it and go, Drew, you need to take me to the hospital. There's something bigger that's going on. Sure enough, I go there. Nate, you have a, your appendix. It's, a, it's, it's inflamed. It's going to burst eventually. Boom, we got it, caught it early. Out the next day, no big deal. So what I'm saying is, is I'm saying seek the Lord for what you're supposed to do with your mental health. Don't worry about what your neighbor's going to think or what your, your mom or your dad's going to think. You pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a peace on what you need to do because he's the best counselor. Come on, somebody. He's the best counselor. I also believe in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has come to set you free. 
Christ wants, you to set, wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to suffer. God is here to heal you supernaturally or naturally through other people. Come on. God can do both. And it's not a lack of faith if one or the other happens. So today I want to give you three things that Elijah did for you to avoid, okay? These are three things Elijah did in the passages that we just read. I want you to avoid those. Fight against the enemy to do those three things. And then I also want to give you four things that can help you mentally. So here we go. The first one, avoid running from God. That's what we see in verse 4. Elijah ran into the wilderness away from his calling. There's going to be moments where you feel so anxious and when you feel depressed and you feel overwhelmed, there's going to be moments where you want to make rash decisions. You're going to go, I, I got to do this. this I, I got to quit my job. I'm overwhelmed. It's too much. Or I got to break up with this person or whatever it may be. And in counseling, they'll tell you this. When you feel depressed or anxious, don't make any rash decisions. Give yourself 24 hours so that you can breathe. Give yourself 24 hours. So Elijah, he ran from God. I want to encourage you to run to God. Psalm 9.9 says this, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Run to him. I don't know what pressure that you're under, but he's the, the pressure relief valve. I don't know how hot it is where you're at, but God is a shelter. He's a shade in the midst of the heat and the pressure. Wherever you find yourself, I encourage you to run to God. The second thing, avoid isolation. Isolation equals loneliness. The statistics statistics say that we are the loneliest society in history, yet we are the most connected digitally. All of us have friends on Facebook. Do you ever talk to those people? Are those people that would give up everything and come to hang out with you and be with you at your rock bottom? In verse 3, Elijah, he left his servant. It's the worst mistake he could have made. He left his servant and said, you know what? I got to go figure this out on my own. I got to go fix myself. I got to do this on my own. And he leaves himself to go do it all by himself. The enemy loves nothing more for us to socially distance ourselves from, our, from others. Amen? The enemy loves that. Socially distance. I get it physically distance, but socially, come on. We need each other. We are better together. Genesis 2.18 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. It's not about me, but it's about we. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's about we. We're together. We're in this together. We need each other. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 4, 9 through 12 says this, that, that two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I'm sure it probably would have looked a little bit different for Elijah if he would have had his servant there with him. When he's feeling depressed, when he's feeling overwhelmed, God, I just take my life, let me die. There would have been somebody else to be there and say, you know what, Elijah, do you remember what God just did? God was faithful. He showed up in a magnificent way. But he chose isolation, so avoid it. The third thing, avoid comparing yourself to others. In verse 4, Elijah said this, he compared himself to his ancestors. I'm not good enough. Any of you relate? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Theodore Roosevelt put it this way, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And some of us, because of our society and our culture, we are allowing ourselves to be an anxious people. With social media, we're always looking through, flipping through, seeing what everybody else is doing. Today, some of you, even right now while I'm preaching, your heads are down and you're looking at your social media. I'm just kidding. 
But today you're going to go on and go, oh, what did everybody else do for Mother's Day? Who cares? Who cares what everybody else is doing? Somebody else is on vacation while you're here stuck in Kearney, North Platter, Ogallala. Praise be to Jesus. Set your schedule. You plan your work. Why don't you plan your play? Schedule your play. Go do something so that you don't have to go, man, I wish we were out doing that. We're causing ourselves so much anxiety because we're looking at all the social media and comparing ourselves to what everybody else is doing. Galatians 6 says something different. Verse 4, pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Do what God's called you to do. Don't worry about your neighbor. You be you and they'll be them. Stop comparing yourself to what everybody else is doing. Four, do this. The food you eat and the sleep you get is your fuel. Man, some of us, we don't feel too good mentally or physically. And I would ask you, I always ask this question when I meet people, what are you eating? Big Macs, not so good. Makes you feel good because, oh man, it tastes great, but not so good for the body. When we encounter dark times, physical rest and healthy nutrition are vital to the journey of restoration that God has for us. This is the battle that goes on at my house. My wife, Drew, she's a healthy eater. Nate, he's an eater. (laughs) He's an eater. He loves to eat. I love it, whatever, I don't care. I'm closer to my death than to my birth, whatever. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna eat whatever. And we, we have this ongoing struggle of, hey, like, what are we doing? What are we feeding ourselves that is good for us in the body physically and mentally? 1 Corinthians 6 says this, I have the right to do anything. Some of you are gonna use this. I have the right to do anything. I've used this. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. For some of you, I mean, my wife is always preaching to me, stop drinking Coca-Cola. I'm like, okay, I'm trying. Amen. That was her amen in me. <laughs> Come on. But caffeine, it could be a number of different things that want to master you. You can say it. I have the right to do anything, but it's not beneficial necessarily. So today, what is God speaking to you? What is he saying to you about what you eat? that it's not healthy, that could change and help you to be, bring more clarity mentally. Sleep is crucial. Going to bed at the same time every night, sometimes difficult, I get that. Some of you are so much into a routine, it's easy for you. But trying to get six to eight hours of sleep per night, research says, is good for you. For some of you, you have insomnia, I know, that you can't go to sleep. Some of you, you, you worry about things and you just think the mind just races and continues to go all the time. And so while you're laying in bed thinking of all the negative things or the bad things, I want to challenge you to flip that thought. And as you're laying there not being able to sleep, I want you to think about not the negative things, but all the good things that God is, he, that you can be grateful and thankful for. Make a mental list, not of the doom and gloom, but all the things that you can be thankful and grateful for. Here's another thing for eaters for you today. Research shows that some who have depression have a shortage of folic acid. Eat some broccoli, basically what that means. Eat leafy greens. Maybe take a B6 or a B12 vitamin or a vitamin C or omega-3 fatty acids. Before you do any of this, I'm not a doctor, so check with your doctor. 
But those are things that they find in research that people who are dealing with depression and anxiety, there's, they're missing some of those pieces. So check with the doctor or maybe begin to take a multivitamin, something like that. Number five, exercise regularly. I know that this isn't probably something you're excited about, but Elijah, he was a runner. He was a runner. He was a runner. He ran from God, but hey, he was a runner. So doing 10 to 30 minutes or more of exercise a day, three to five days a week, can significantly improve your depression and anxiety. It allows you to release good endorphins. It allows you to get your mind off the worries and the cares of those, of those cycle of neg- negative thoughts. It will help you. Philippians 4, this needs to be your f- prayer. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. For some of you, it's going to be a... a, a You can't motivate yourself enough. You're in depression. You can't motivate yourself enough to get up to want to exercise or do anything. But with God, all things are possible, and he'll give you the strength to start. Do something small. Don't go over the top. Just but doing something small each and every day over a long period of time will turn into big results. So do something. Exercise regularly. The sixth thing, be there for one another. I I wanted to put this title, be an angel to someone, but somebody would take that out of context. But when you look at the passage, be there for somebody. Be an angel. Be Jesus' hands and feet for somebody. Galatians 6.10 says this, so then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Romans 12, this isn't in my notes, Romans 12.15 says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Come on, church, I think we're really good at rejoicing with those and laughing with those who are in good times. I'm not so sure all the time, church, that we're very good with mourning with those who are mourning. I think it's awkward. I don't think we know what to say, but here's the thing. Here's what Richard says. Just show up and be there. Did you see what the angel of the Lord did for Elijah? He brought him a meal. Can you do that? Can you love somebody? Can you just be there for somebody? It's not about what you say, but it's just about your presence. So being there for somebody. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. This is what I say about that. Be the someone that you wish someone would be for you. If you were going through a difficult season and no one was there for you, this is your moment. If you found comfort from the Lord to be the comfort for somebody else. Because that's what it is. God doesn't waste our pain. God doesn't waste our struggles. God doesn't waste any of that. He allows it to happen so we can turn to him and he brings us comfort so that we can turn and comfort others who are hurting as well. The last one, journey with God and don't give up. God didn't merely come to come down and give Joan, or Elijah, sorry, Elijah a quick pep talk and say, okay, get out of this. Get out of this depression. Let's get going. No, instead, God had a journey of healing and restoration for Elijah. It required some time. It required healing. The healing can come instantaneously, but it didn't. And sometimes it doesn't always. So we have to go on a journey with the Lord today. Wherever you find yourself this morning at rock bottom, whether you're in the middle, the top, you're on the mountaintop, or you're in the bottom today, wherever you find yourself, would you just go on a journey with the Lord? Would you take this journey from despair to trusting in God I really feel like this is the kind of the theme verse from last week and this week, but 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. 
he, he really does. He cares about you, and he's, he's willing to go on this journey. He's waiting, and he's willing to be listening to you. He's waiting and, and willing to reveal his next step for you in your mental health, wherever you might be, and no matter what you're going through. And I just need to end with this. This morning, if, if you're someone who is currently dealing with suicidal thoughts, you're someone that's there, you find yourself at rock bottom wanting, and wanting to give up, Please, please, please find a pastor today, find a friend, find a family member. If, if there's none of those people around that you feel safe to talk to, go check yourself into the ER because you're valuable. You're worthy. God is in the job of restoring and making all things new in people. That's God's heart today. So God wants to meet you at your rock bottom, wherever you're at this morning. Would you, would you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, we need your touch. The world needs you. I need you. Everyone in this house, everyone at the North Platte and Ogallala campus and in line, God, they need you. God, you know their, their story. You know their current mental state. And God, today, would you meet them right where they're at? Would you give them peace? Would you give them a confidence to be able to step this week into the purposes and the plans that you have for them, whether that's reaching out for counseling, whether that's going to see their doctor, whether it's today even just kneeling where they're at or kneeling at the altar and just bringing all of their burdens and all their cares to you. God, would you bring healing and restoration? Would you bring rest to the minds of your people today? May, they, may you be the shelter that they need. Guide them and direct them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.